this is Jimbo for Two Shots on a Barrel, and I'm hanging out with my buddy, J-Bo. What's going on, buddy? Well, listen, I, I figured it was time that we uh, tell everybody how much we appreciate uh, you guys listening to Two Shots on a Barrel. We would appreciate also, J-Bo, if they would go out and review the show, give us some good constructive criticism. But honestly, J-Bo, we like five stars and just really good really good comments that's right and if you could avoid doing it when you're really drunk that would be a very helpful uh, situation you left a review for me on a page and obviously you were 10 past where you should have been leaving that review but uh, yeah just even if you have to lie talk good about us please absolutely we're available on all kinds of uh, podcast platforms, including iTunes, iHeartRadio, Spotify. You name it, we are out there. The other thing, J-Bo, is we would love to hear from you. If you know somebody that would love to be on the show, uh, you can always reach out to us, J-Bo. Tell them That's how. right. We have an email, and we've had it for about a year now, but we keep forgetting to tell you we have it. It's two shots podcast show at gmail.com. That's the number two, two shots podcast show at gmail.com. Dot com. Please, please, please send us an email. And I think the cool thing to tell everybody, too, Jacob, is we're very active out on social media. We've got a Two Shots on a Barrel group page on Facebook. You're also a TikTok guy. I didn't realize you were a TikTok guy. Uh-huh. We actually do TikTok, Instagram, and all kinds yeah, of things. Yeah, we're, we're on everything. We're, we're not really uh, really good at it, but we're on there. So get on there, laugh at our TikToks, and uh, I'm sure I'll get Jim on a TikTok here before long. All it takes is for one to go viral, Jebo, and it's as crazy stupid as you are, it's probably going to happen. It's going to happen. Either I'm going to get frost bit doing these uh, TikToks or uh, we're going to have them go viral. So So we're excited uh, about Two Shots. We are broadcasting out of our studios here in Main Street, Bourbon Country. It's a state-of-the-art studios uh, where we're going to have many, many guests and many, many shows for you to listen to. That's right. We're right here in the Pearl of Lebanon. Lebanon Health and Fitness in downtown Lebanon, Kentucky, just just sideways of uh, Rigetti's Restaurant. Make sure when you are in on the Bourbon Trail, if you're uh, staying in Marion County in Lebanon, make sure you come by. They have a state-of-the-art fitness center. It's really a uh, all-inclusive uh, center for uh, whether you're uh, men, women. They've got a place yeah. that your kids, if you're coming in for the Bourbon Trail with your kids, I have no reason to understand why you would be doing that. But in case you are, right. they can they can do it all right here at uh, Lebanon Health and Fitness. If you're only going to be here a day, they have $7 one-day uh, fees to come in and work out. All day long. Yeah. So, can't beat it. Anyways, with, with that said, we appreciate you listening to our shows. And without further ado, it's Two Shots on a Barrel. Two old boys ain't much for working. Two shots on a barrel, and they're talking about bourbon. Talking about a few other things that they don't know. If you've got a question, no need to ask. They don't have a clue, so raise your glass. Take a sip with the bold brothers. Now it's on with the show. From the heart of central Kentucky, the bourbon capital of the world, it's two shots on a barrel with your host, a couple of hot shots of their own, the bold brothers. What's up, J-Bo? Back in the studio here in the uh, Pearl of Lebanon, the Two Shot Studio. And, uh, you know, man, just when you think you uh, couldn't bring in even more legendary 
people. Right. We we have done it again, brought in another legendary person. There's just some people you never think that would uh, give us five seconds, much less an entire interview, and I'm so happy to be in the presence of this guy because, like you said, he is legendary in the bourbon business. And so let's welcome in Jim Rutledge to Two Shots. Jim, thanks so much for taking time oh, to be here. It's my pleasure. I enjoy coming down here. and uh, I'm in the gym quite frequently yeah. downstairs. Uh, we we met, what was it, last year? Yeah, we, I, I, yeah we did. We we met at the Bourbon Festival yeah. and, and, and expressed an interest. And you graciously said, yeah, I'd, sure, I'd like to be on the show sometime. And it's taken a couple of days to to get that accomplished, but here we are. Yeah, glad to be here. Yeah, and I got to tell you, Jabo, one of the things that strikes me uh, about Jim Rutledge, <clears throat> if I ever need a partner on two shots on the barrel, and if I ever want to kick you to the curb, all I've got to do is have Jim Rutledge on the show because he's got a voice he that's going to just draw in he listeners does. to two shots on a barrel. He sounds so much better than me. It's it's. I mean, I, I, I would I would let you. I yeah, would. I, I, I got to tell you, it's 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 quite impressive. So Jim Rutledge, uh, one of the things when I, when I'm reading about you and your storied history, uh, you think and Jeremy and I were kind of talking about this. You had really a storybook career at Four Roses, a legend in the business. Let's make no mistake about it. And I guess it was uh, in what year you decided to retire? I retired in September 2015. So in 2015, after, after a legendary career, you retired, and you basically said – Retirement is not for me, or you've been like the busiest retired guy in the history of retired guys. Uh, I learned uh, very quickly that a week of retirement, which consists of one Sunday and six Saturdays, wasn't going to be my cup of tea. And, <laughs> yeah. uh, I started pretty quickly uh, uh, by the first of the year uh, of 2016. I was uh, talking to some people that contacted me and Started uh, uh, contract distillation. I was at Castle & Key with uh, actually one of their investors. And uh, so that went on. We were, I think they had started uh, distilling around October, November 2015. And I was there just a few months after that. And uh, we had a good long run. I had quite a few people other than this one uh, after we started and Oh, we had uh, several months of runs over the first couple of years, and several other came on uh, people came online, and I stayed pretty busy until uh, actually last year and this year, and with the bourbon boom and everybody wanting contract distillation, uh, whether it was for their own brands or uh, producing barrels, putting the way on speculation that you know if I fill a barrel today for whether it be $800, $850, and pays for some storage over the years, uh, I'm going to make a lot of money in five or six years when uh, that barrel's going to be worth four or five times more than what I paid for it. So it's, a, it, it's just amazing what's going on with the industry. But uh, looking for contract distillation right now, you're going to have to go out 
two, sometimes three or more years before you can book some time. Wow. All right, so I'm going to ask you a question, J-Bo. Yes. Because, you know, sometimes I feel really stupid, Jim Rose. Oh, he's going to ask me. He's going to ask me. And so, J-Bo, uh, for those of us that maybe don't know about oh, can can you tell me about contract yes, distillation? Yes. That's where you go. <laughs> All right. Slap my hand. <laughs> Is that where you go to, like, let's I'm just going to throw a name out there, uh, Wilderness Trail, and say, hey, I'd like I don't have my own distillery yet, but can you supply me with some bourbon so I can start my own company and then eventually get to where I can make my own? Is that anywhere close? Exactly. And uh, a lot of the the people that contract uh, with a distillery, have them fill barrels, put them away, and age them. Uh, Like I I mentioned, some of them don't ever have plan to have their own uh, business. Some have brands but don't have plans for a distillery. Now, it's uh, we'll get to it down the road, I, I guess. But uh, we have plans for a distillery, but we can't get contract distillation now. Wow, uh, it's amazing. So, so what's happened with that? It just the just the the boom and the demand. The boom in the business, uh, the demand is right now is a lot greater than the supply. Okay, wow. And uh, you know, I've uh, I've had people I've worked with for several years now that have been all over the state trying to find uh, contract distillation. And it's just uh, it's just, just impossible to find right now. So, so it's, a, it's a good thing that the, the bourbon industry is booming, but it, it makes it a, more, a difficult thing for someone who, like yourself or others who out there that are looking for those types of opportunities. It's a challenge right now. It's, uh, uh, if you don't have something started, or the, I guess the ones that – may really be hurt by it. The ones that have had a year or two of contract distillation for their own brands, and all of a sudden now, they can't find it. Oh, wow. Oh, and, and that's that's uh, going to be a problem for several people. Wow. I didn't, we've never heard of this. Never heard that that was a problem right now. We've talked to many uh, people up and coming, and, and – uh, this is the first we've heard of that. That's that's, that's why you've got a legendary guy yeah. like Jim Rutledge here to give us an yeah. up-to-date – uh, thing on what's going on in the bourbon One industry. of the uh, groups that I've uh, been working as a uh, distiller on a contract basis with other distilleries, uh, Blue Run Spirits, and we were at Castle and Key, and then last year we had uh, a couple runs at Blue Run Spirits, uh, sorry, at uh, Bardstown Bourbon Company mm-hmm. for Blue Run, and uh, now we find out, and I had some time booked, I thought, for the last quarter of this past year in 2021 and it just disappeared and from what i understand they're booked now through 2025 and getting into 2026 where you can get on on board goodness gracious and some others are the same thing where i've done uh, the majority of the work the castle and key and i don't know when we can get on out there again it's amazing wow that is crazy I did not know that uh, – I knew that, you know, there were some when – you, when you read about J.W. Rutledge and, and, and the desire to have your distillery and, and some of the things you read about is this, this whole COVID thing that really disrupted a lot of things that people had going on. But, boy, this is significant in its own right in, in what type of impact that it's going to have on the industry. Uh, with this with this issue of just not having enough of the juice to meet the demand. 
Yeah, it's, uh, you know, don't go, you don't have to go back very far in time where there were just the eight major distilleries in Kentucky. And now I'm not sure what the number is because it changes about every day, but right. it's 75, 76, maybe more by now. Wow. And, of course, they're all small distillers. Uh, you can uh, probably take the majority of those. Uh, there's a couple of large ones. Blue, uh, Bardstown Bourbon Company is one that's really grown dramatically. But uh, most of the small distillers, you can put them all together and wouldn't uh, come up to the volume that was being produced by one of the eight major distilleries. And uh, But getting into the business right now is... Uh, you know, it's a challenge. It's a challenge anyway. Uh, just using ourselves as an example. When I was uh, Seagram, of course, Four Roses was owned by Seagram. Okay. Until Seagram went out of business at uh, the end of uh, uh, 2001. And uh, I spent a lot of time, I my first 11 years at Seagram's Calvert Distillery at 7th and 7th Street Road in Central, the intersection of oh, yeah. Louisville, for the first 11 years. And then I uh, was transferred to corporate New York, and I worked in the Budgets and Standards Department. I, I managed that, preparing for the entire manufacturing uh, division, uh, the budgets and the operating standards for every every labor piece of labor that was done. Wow. And, uh, and then also the long-range distillation plans. But uh, this... What I'm trying to get to there, a lot of the, uh, anytime one of Seagram Distilleries had uh, a major work order request, uh, a large work order, and I would do a lot of cost analysis and work them up. Uh, so I, I did that for a number of years. So when we got back here and after I retired and myself and uh, three other partners decided to have, try to raise money for our own distil- uh, distillery, then... I put the financials together based on what I'd learned while I was uh, and what I was doing in New York. Yeah, you know, we've changed them. I don't know how many times, but after COVID, uh, we've really dramatically changed them. And I, I just had a, another revisions that came out with a couple of weeks ago. Uh, we had to redo everything for our private placement memorandum for raising capital. But one of the things I had a big adjustment. I had in our plans uh, the contract distillation. I thought we had it set up for with Barstown Bourbon Company, and sure. that disappeared. And we can't get booked, so now I, I had to take a lot of that, all, all the con, the cases that we were going to plan on filling with uh, what we contract distilled, take them out of the plans, wow. and then we went out uh, and we we can purchase some spirits. But uh, finding Kentucky bourbon is next to impossible right now. But, uh, you know, we've made a lot of changes and adjustments. So uh, it's been a challenge. You mentioned COVID. That changed things dramatically. Look at the price of everything. Prices, yes. uh, You know, equipment, I had to go back and change uh, the equipment prices for distillation equipment, whether it be, uh, you know, the still, the doubler, the the tankage, uh, the cooker, fermenters. All those costs have gone dramatically up. The building itself, building materials, uh, roofing materials right now are uh, more than a year out, uh, from what I understand. It, it's it's amazing. So we've had to adjust all that, and we're in 
looking like we're getting close, even in these hard times. But things did change dramatically during COVID, and they slowed down to next to nothing uh, for us, and that that put us way behind. But uh, we're looking looking better right now than we have since we started our efforts. Jim, if he's looking for a place and wants a good deal, I'm sure we can hook him up on your farm and, uh, you know, work out a trade, just give us some bourbon every once in a while, maybe a barrel here or there. That would be a simple deal. Yeah, we'll just put you on his farm. How about that? (laughs) How big's your farm? (laughs) And is it flat? How big you need to be? (laughs) No, it's mostly knobs. I guess I'm out. I guess I'm out. So uh, going back to your your history uh, of Four Roses – and everything that uh, one of the things when I was reading about this, I did not know this. When when you became uh, early on a part of Four Roses, uh, I read somewhere you could not even get the product domestically. Uh, the bourbon uh, Seagram purchased uh, the Four Roses brand uh, back in nineteen forty three. And back in all those years, it just wasn't Seagram, but back, you know, in 30s, 40s, 50s, uh, and in the 60s, the top shelf brands back then were the blend of whiskeys, which mm-hmm. is a dirty name to a bourbon person right now, I guess. It, it, it's not as bad as it used to be, but brands like uh, Seagram 7, Crown Royal, Seagram VO, mm-hmm. Canadian Club, and I can go on and on and on and mm-hmm. on uh, with a uh, blend of whiskeys. But bourbon as a category was down near the bottom. Things were just reversed. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so we had Four Roses. And because Four Roses was actually uh, immediately following the repeal of Prohibition, the top selling bourbon in the U.S. Ah. And this is why I preface with uh, talk about the blend of whiskeys. Because it was still the number one selling bourbon in the U.S. in the in the mid '50s, and at the end of the '50s, the uh, founder of Seagram, Joseph E. Seagram, uh, Sam Brofman, Senior, pulled the number one selling bourbon off the domestic market, put us in export only, because it was it had too much uh, notoriety, attention, I guess, and he wanted his blend of whiskeys. Ah, top shelf. Gotcha. It doesn't make sense until yeah, you, right? Uh, yeah. And that's the best I can figure out what yeah. the reason, logic, because we we had five bourbons. We uh, after uh, forty nine years with Seagram uh, and Four Roses, it's hard not to say we. Uh, uh, listen, yeah, you've earned it, yeah. Uh, so we pulled it off, and Seagram had come out with a blend of whiskey to take advantage of how well-known the Four Roses of Bourbon was, uh, about 1945. And it was a good blend of whiskey at first. It was uh, an A blend, what we called them at Seagram. A blend was 100% whiskeys. A B blend had great neutral spirits. And by definition, a blend of whiskey could be, it had to have a, uh, a minimum of 20% straight whiskeys. It could be straight bourbon, straight rye, straight barley, straight corn. 20% straight whiskeys, then it could be, 80% grain to spirits, vodka. Ah. Uh, so the good whiskeys and Four Roses uh, was a the blend of whiskey was uh, 100% whiskeys. It was the A blend when it first came out. So anyway, uh, but we had bourbons like uh, very well-known Antique, Eagle Rare. Mm-hmm. Uh, That's good. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
a lot of the bourbons, and I was was the one responsible when I was in New York. We can get to that if we want to, if we have time, for selling those to other groups. It always sounds crazy, too, but uh, there was logic behind it. But anyway, uh, so Four Roses bourbon was pulled off the domestic market at the end of the 50s. And while I was in New York, uh, our industry had been declining. We reached the peak of... Uh, uh, Performance. One of the guys I've always used was the number of barrels in inventory, and the industry was uh, maxed out uh, about 1968. And from that point on, for the next 20 plus years, it was a steady decline uh, in the bourbon business. It was uh, a lot of things contributed like that. Uh, you're too young to remember or know about even uh, at the end of the 70s, early 80s, the Double-digit inflation, I'm talking about 19 20 21%, uh, caused people to go away from straight whiskeys, which you have to have age in a, any straight whiskey has to be aged in a brand-new barrel, put away. Uh, if it's a straight whiskey, it has to be aged a minimum of four years. If it's aged less than that, you have to have an age statement on the label, which could be a killer in itself. Mm-hmm. So there's a, a lot of money involved, and uh, and then the day we fill those barrels and put them away, we start paying paying valorum tax. The tax rates uh, increase, uh, you know, throughout uh, the aging process, and the the rates as the bourbon gets older, uh, it maxed out at eight years old, but it steadily increased. So the valorum taxes are increasing mm. while. What's in the barrels decreasing through mm-hmm. uh, uh, evaporation, soakage that first year, and some leakage, and uh, so anyway, uh, you you you've got you've got a yeah, lot of we were, I'm, I'm hearing a lot of a lot of money just walking yeah, out. Was so was is that what of, happened to like? Because I've heard the others say something about you know you started seeing like this movement to to clear liquors like the vodkas and the, i mean is, well, that, is that something a, that, that was a lot of that yeah uh, back in those years and trying to go away from the more expensive brands and that's what was driving a lot of that uh and going to uh coolers wine coolers because uh, you can get those out quicker right well, you don't have to and, age it well, and, uh, uh, anything based on those some of them were malt coolers wine coolers if it if the base was uh, grain neutral spirits or vodka, you can distill it today and bottle it tomorrow. Yeah, so fair. there's no barrels, yeah. there's no aging, gotcha. there's no taxes on it. Uh, it's cheap. Yeah, and uh, so that that was driving it a lot, and uh, and then uh, the companies look for ways of saving money and things, sure. and it, the, uh, change uh, the entry proofs. We can go up to maximum fill in a barrel 125. Proof back in uh, the early years when I was around, uh, mid 60s up until the mid 80s, most distilleries would put away, fill their barrels at 105, 110 proof, and then all of a sudden you're changing mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Uh, start to go up to maximum. And then another way we saved uh, money then to offset this uh, uh, inflation was uh, rotating the barrels. Ah. Most of the servers quit rotating barrels. And, you know, in a multi-story warehouse, let's say every floor will age, you'll generate different flavor profiles. And let's say your target age, uh, uh, target 
flavor profile would be barrel aged on the fifth floor. Then you go up to the seventh floor and say you take out the youngest, you take out the oldest on the first floor, and you and you meet at your uh, target. Yeah, and so sure. that's that's the way you can come up with a just one example of uh, not rotating barrels and get around. So we've saved saved a lot of money, but that's uh, but that's one of the reasons uh, uh, you know, the industry was declining uh, from the eighties on or late seventies on was because of the inflation that, that happened. And uh, people went away from a lot of whiskey, even the blended whiskeys, and to the coolers and beers and wines. Yeah. And uh, now, of course, uh, then in 1988, see, Four Roses Bourbon, people, our blended whiskey, Seagram had a history. They uh, promote and uh, advertise until uh, one of the brands, they felt like uh, when the market research reached the peak of their performance without adding a lot of dollars and to achieve little success, they will pull 100% of the support, not putting another penny behind it wow. in any way in a brand, letting it just drift away based on the uh, notoriety it had developed over the years. And that happened in around uh, early, mid 60s on the Four Roses blended whiskey that was in the U.S. And they pulled 100% support. And then it also uh, increased the green neutral spirits in it up to about, uh, uh, let me see, I'm trying to remember, it was about uh, 28, about 72%, I think it was, or uh, uh, a little more green neutral spirits. Mm-hmm. And they did some other things. But it didn't take long for this well-known brand to, I mean, it was uh, it was a rot-gut whiskey, and uh, that's the reputation it had, and yeah. it destroyed the name that the bourbon once had in the industry. And in 1988, the market had been declining for 20 years. I was in New York at the time, and uh, we were the top-selling bourbon in most European countries and Japan at that time. And uh, all of a sudden, the Japanese market didn't creep up. It shot through the roof. Uh And we were the industry now. That's in 1988. So we're putting away barrels as an industry. We we have to, you know, it's long-range planning, but it's really long-range guessing what's going to happen down the road. Mm -hmm. And so no one, everybody in the early 80s have been putting away for four, five, six years from now based on these trends that have been declining. So it caught our industry, especially us, as uh, the top-selling bourbon in uh, Japan, caught us with our pants down. Mm-hmm. And so I had mentioned earlier that I was the one responsible. So I went to marketing and sales. Seagram was not a bourbon company. They've Their whole focus was uh, blended whiskeys. They got into the wine coolers, uh, vodkas, and gins, but they were not a bourbon company. So we weren't putting any support on them, but we had barrel inventories. So the other brands that I sold, Benchmark, Eagle Rare, Antique, and I'm missing some. Uh, but I went to marketing, executive vice presidents and directors of marketing, uh, the marketing companies and sales companies, and I talked to them, we need to devote our barrel inventories to one global growth market, which is Four Roses in Japan. And so that's why we ended up selling those brands. and. We had the barrel inventory then to support yeah. the uh, the growth of Four Roses. 
<clears throat> bourbon. But uh, after we did that, I'm still in New York. I, I got transferred. I spent about 15 years there. And uh, got back to Kentucky November, October, September, late September 92. And uh, But I started pretty soon after we sold those brands trying to talk sales and marketing into getting, bringing, I felt like Seagram, we, they never really promoted, but I felt like we needed a bourbon in the U.S. So I started trying to talk them into bringing Four Roses back. I was still in New York at the time. And I said, oh, I, I get no. And I, but at that time, I'd say, okay, I think we need it, but okay. And uh, so then I, oh, I've been up there. Uh, I mentioned I got transferred up in uh, November 77. And every year at annual reviews, I was always talking to uh, the guy I worked for, super, super person. Stanley Bershaw was his name. And, uh, Annual review, I'd always ask him at the end of it, says, if, if there's ever an opportunity for me to get back in distillation, uh, I'd appreciate it, just being considered for it. And uh, he'd say, okay, nod his head, and we'd go on. Mm-hmm. And uh, no one in, in New York could, couldn't understand, you know, somebody that has an opportunity to ride a train uh to New York City and back uh, hour and 20 minutes each way and then commute time in the, and wearing a three-piece suit. Why would anybody have all this? Would <laughs> yeah. ever want to get transferred back to a dirty distillery? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> didn't yeah. understand, but, uh, but he came to me in 1990. And uh, he said, Jim, have you been serious all these years about uh, uh, getting back into a distillery? Uh, I said, no, Stan, I've just been kidding you the last 12 years. <laughs> and uh, he said, well, I'll tell you what, things have worked out so well with us up here. Uh, I'm going to retire early. He ended up retiring about 58. Uh, uh, I'm going to retire early, and I'm going to do my best to make that wish come true. To get you to Kentucky. And, boy, he did. He was true to his word. Wow, and, uh, that's awesome. So he, I got back to Kentucky in late September of 92. I want to hear more about this, uh, about this kind of this uh, back to Kentucky. And I guess I want to hear a little more about kind of who is Jim Rutledge. Uh, and and then maybe when we come back from this break, Jim, you can tell us about this uh, fantastic uh, uh, drink we are partaking in uh, today. So we'll do that on the uh, backside of a break. But uh, we do uh, want to say thanks to all of our sponsors and make sure that those guys know we appreciate them. So, hey, stick around. I, I'm having a lot. I feel like I'm really learning a tremendous amount of things that I didn't know about the bourbon industry. And and, and thanks. Uh, thank goodness we got Jim Rutledge in here Absolutely. to tell us about it. All right, so stick around. More Two Shots is on the way after this break. So, Jabo, I found out the um, the older you get, the more kids, as your kids grow older, you suddenly have a damn fleet of vehicles. <laughs> and and to both of us, man, we can tell you all about it. Uh, we both have brand-new 16-year-olds. 
hitting the road. So uh, let me tell you how often we're visiting big old tires these days. And it's important when you got your 16-year-old out on the road, you have good tires. Oh, absolutely. And the place to go, we know, is big old tires of Lebanon and Barstow. That's right. Billy Taft has been doing this a long, long time. If you want advice on getting the perfect tire for the perfect vehicle, go to Billy Taft first at Big Old Tire. And not only can they supply you with some great tires, they also can do oil changes, mm-hmm. brake work, you name it. And here's the cool thing that really impressed me when I visited Billy Taft and Big Old Tires the last time. That dude is customer service extraordinary. Absolutely. He's been like that uh, as long as I've known him. I've known him a long time. He's a great guy just like off the court than he is on the court. He's just A+, plus and I, I love that dude. He's, he's really, really genuine, and he knows his tires. And... If you're having problems, let's say let's say this weather is crazy, okay? It's raining a bunch. Go in there and let him put new windshield wipers on your car besides going and trying to do it yourself. I'm I'm speaking by experience here, Jimmy. It's yeah, it's, no. it's a terrible terrible thing to do putting wipers no. on yourself. Uh-uh. No. Big believer in big old tires of Lebanon and Barstown right here in the heart of bourbon country. If you're in for the bourbon trail, your card kind of messes up on you, go see our friend Billy Tapp. Pit stop. It's all it is. Pit stop. You're in and out and uh, off to the uh, next distillery. There you go. Big old tires of Lebanon and Bardstown, a proud sponsor of Two Shots on a Barrel. All right, so one thing we've learned on Two Shots is it's important to know where to go when you need a good attorney job. Yes, sir. It's very important nowadays. We've had to uh, get one of our own here lately, and uh, we got the best in the business. We absolutely do, and we found out one morning when you go visit Don McCauley, you better enjoy bourbon and stick around for a while. Because not only is she very good and an expert attorney, she also knows her bourbon. She does know her bourbon, and she knows where to get it, and she will not tell me where the secret stash is located. But that's okay. But she'll bring out many of the unicorns that she has in her house, and and we enjoyed uh, spending time with her. But on a serious note, we know that uh, folks listening out there need to have good legal representation. Don McCauley. Don McCauley, you are right. 144 West Main Street in Lebanon, Kentucky. Her phone number is 270-692-0684. If it's legal anything, she will take care of it. She will be there for you, and she will be the voice that you need to get through this situation. We're talking real estate law. We're talking business law. We're talking anything criminal related, yes. uh, divorce, you name it, bankruptcy, any of those things, Don McCauley can take care of you. If, if, if you're nervous and you just don't know which way to go, if you need that voice, call Don McCauley. Once again, 270-692-0684. Yeah, good stuff right here in bourbon country, Don McCauley. Law Office of Don McCauley. Thanks. Marion County Trail could be the best value in bourbon-themed travel in Kentucky. You'll experience one of the Kentucky Bourbon Trail's crown jewels, one of the Bourbon Trail Craft Tour's top-rated stops, and something you can't find anywhere else. Organized tours of a bourbon barrel manufacturing facility all in one place. It's the Marion County Trail. Take your time to tour, dine, shop, and stay all along the way. Explore world-famous Maker's Mark, a hot-ticket item on the Kentucky Bourbon Trail, Limestone Branch Distillery, home of world-famous Yellowstone Bourbon, and one of the top-rated stops on the Kentucky Bourbon Trail Craft Tour. Kentucky Cooperage, the sprawling plant where the thriving bourbon industry's barrels are hand-built and seared with fire for bourbon-aging flavor. 
and Lebanon, home of wonderful dining opportunities from home-cooked to chef-driven. Unique shopping opportunities, nowhere else to be found murals for your selfies, and overnight accommodations that range from traditional to bed and breakfast to bourbon-themed. Go to visitlebanonky.com for more details. Lebanon Tourist and Convention Commission, 270-692-0021. Tired of paying rent? Do you dream of owning your own home? Now's the time to make that dream a reality. Call Lisa, 270-402-4036. Have you outgrown your current home? Need more space or just the opposite? Are you looking to downsize? Call Lisa, 270-402-4036. Whether buying or selling, now is the time. Call Lisa, 270-402-4036. Lisa Kearns Realtor, Exit Realty Bluegrass, 270-402-4036. Call or text Lisa. Lisa Kearns, the helpful agent. Hey, the Bow Brothers are back in action, and we could not do it without our good buddy Terry Woolley. And what a comeback Terry Woolley is making, J-Bo. Hey, I, the little birdie told me he has a new CD coming out very soon, possibly a Christmas album, possibly a religious album. I hope he does both. Absolutely. And right now, he's got so many great songs out there. You can check them all out on Spotify, iTunes, you name it. You can go and get all of the music from Terry Woolley, or you can go to his website. That is terrywoolley.com. He's a great friend of Two Shots on a Barrel. We love that guy. Go uh, check him out today. That's right. It's TerryWooley.com. Didn't take me long, couple years or so. Decided to make a brand new... All right, back to two shots on a barrel. We're, we're talking uh, golf balls, windows. Uh, I promise I never broke one of your windows. <laughs> we, we're figuring out that uh, – I told Jim one of the things I was curious about. I, I knew he's – I knew he'd been in Marion County for several years now. I think it was our buddy Timothy yeah. at Rosewood that was telling us, you know, the uh, a legend in the uh, bourbon business comes to Rosewood. Right. And I'm like – yeah, yeah, uh, Jim Rutledge. I'm like, oh, okay. So then we're, we're we're talking a little bit about that, and then we find out that how many golf balls have you hit through Jim Rutledge's windows? Well, no windows, but uh, plenty of uh, <laughs> bounces off the roof, and uh, you know, off the side of the house. His, uh, yeah, it, it's unbelievable. So uh, one of the things that we were talking off the air, uh, and I was telling Jim, I was like, one of the things I always wanted to know is what you know this guy that's that's been. In New York has been many, many places. What brought you to Marion County? And you, you said like so many other people probably yeah. said, "Is a lady that brought me here." You know, right? I right. mean, uh, tell well, us about your connection. Well, uh, I was born and raised in Louisville, and uh, I was talking about spending all the time in New York. We got back to Kentucky, and uh, uh, back in Louisville, I lived in Versailles for a while, and coming back, and that was near the distillery. But anyway, uh, uh, my wife is from uh, Lebanon or Marion County, and uh, her parents are getting older, and uh, we moved here, and she wanted to be closer to her. Her two brothers are here, and uh, she wanted to be closer to her family, and especially her parents as they were aging. And we were in an apartment for uh, a while, and uh, I was telling you guys, <laughs> she took all the closet space in the two-bedroom apartment. And 
I would try to stock my clothes as neat as possible on the floor to keep them wrinkling too much. And I, I after a while, like I said, yeah. I, I said, I, I can't handle this. We bought, uh, <laughs> I'd buy a house. We bought the first house ever built in uh, Rosewood. Awesome. And wow. We're still there right now. Unfortunately, I didn't realize how bad it would be. It was, uh, what is it, probably 175, 200 from the uh, back tee. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Easy. To my house. <laughs> yeah. And uh, the golf uh, course was new. It was an amazing course for being new. I mean, oh, it yeah, was definitely. good shape for after a year, uh, except it didn't have any trees to protect the homes. <laughs> and, Especially uh, my worst the only year, one. I think I had 13 windows broken out oh, one year because that was a direct shot. Oh, oh my goodness gracious. Now, the worst part about it right now is uh, I, I love to play golf, and my back has been so bad for several years now. So uh, it didn't sound too bad. I live on a golf course, <laughs> and I go out and just you know play nine and get home in the, sure. late in the mm-hmm. afternoons or yeah. play on the weekends, whatever. And now with my back is uh, is so bad, all I get to do is sit home on the weekend, <laughs> listen to golf balls hit the house. <laughs> now, do these golfers do they stop or do they just keep rolling after they hit your house? Uh, it's about half, and half, half and half. Yeah, gotcha. Yeah. I'm usually the guy that's running. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'll, but I know what you look like. That's yeah, it. You got me now. You got me. No, it's uh, you know, at first everybody seemed to stop, and uh, of course, there's a lot more people playing the course right yes. now. And uh, so, and I really appreciate. Uh, I know a couple, of, some young kids uh, have broken out some windows and. And uh, they came up and were very honest about it. That's good. I tell them how much it was, and then they, they get a window, and I wouldn't charge them. I mean, I, I said it was worth more that you were honest. Honestly, awesome. worth more yes. than what that window cost. That's fantastic. Amen. They got lucky. They got lucky. That's Marion County for you, though. We got good people here. And, uh, man, especially Rosewood. How about that place? It's just beautiful. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. it's it, If on a weekend – you don't get up to about four or five o'clock. You're in a waiting yes. line for yeah. an hour. And a half. Yeah. You're right. You're yeah. right. Yeah. So I'm um, uh, another great uh, thing you, you you did today. Not only did you uh, come to talk about it and to uh, kind of educate us, you brought some uh, some great uh, some of your product, uh, High Plains Rye, blend of straight rye, uh, rye whiskeys. Uh, tell us about what we're what we're drinking today, Jim. Well. Uh, I'll get to that, but there's a story behind it. Let's story do behind it. I, I, hey, I love it. Uh, you know, as our objective is to have our own distillery, myself and three others. And, uh, you know, one of the hardest things uh, for a new distillery is to get distribution. Uh, most small distilleries will get distribution maybe in their home state, and that's about it. And we would tell everybody that uh, was maybe interested uh, in investing when they wanted to meet with us. We're not going to have any issues uh, getting uh, distribution. Uh, you know, my name's uh, known pretty well throughout the U.S. And then uh, one of our partners, who the other one of the four that the other one that lives in Kentucky, uh, he was once legal counsel and heavily involved with marketing at Buffalo Trace. All right. Uh, then we have. Uh, he and another guy who lives in California own a uh, small company that has uh, provides uh, sales, marketing services, uh, compliance for startup distilleries, uh, and they have 
they represent even some uh, international pro- uh, products. Uh, they have connections all over the U.S. Pretty pretty and solid core had, group there. Yeah, but. and then the fourth guy was spent uh, the largest distributor in the world, Southern Glazers uh, Wine and Spirits, and he spent uh, thirty seven years when Southern at the time Southern Wine and Spirits was a startup distributor in Florida uh, from its get go. And executive positions, he helped build that to now the world's largest distributor. So we have uh, a broad range. Uh, I did a lot of financial work, as we discussed when I was mm-hmm. uh, planning, but I'm not an accountant. And I could just visualize uh, what takes place in an operation and, and put numbers to it, but I don't know how to do it in an accounting way. So we, But we have uh, uh, everything except accounting, and so we, you know, we... We hire a CPA to do their financial work. Right. And uh, so we had to prove that, uh, you know, it's all talk until you can prove it. So we said, we need to put some brands. And uh, our guys that, uh, one in Kentucky, one in California, had come across uh, Cream of Kentucky was a really old uh, brand. It started in 1888 and after Prohibition. Uh, it was uh, Bubba Shenley, and it became a very, very competitive top top of the market brand. Uh, mostly advertising, a lot of it was done by Norman Rockwell back then. Mm-hmm. Wow, mm-hmm. artwork! Mm-hmm. And but they had acquired that trademark. The Shenley had gone out of business, I think, in the mid '80s, somewhere around there. So they had the trademark to that brand. And just prior to us getting together, and uh, they had come up with another High Plains. How they decided on that. So we had two trademarks. So we said, well, we better get some of these in the in the market. So we found some, uh, uh, some of the guys kept bringing uh, some uh, bourbon samples to me. I said, no, we, you know, we can't shoot ourselves in the foot and put something that's not good in the market. But we did find a good bourbon. It was, uh, at first it was, uh, we had NDAs that we couldn't uh, uh, reveal the source, but everybody got to know it, and then the NDA, NDAs disappeared. But it was Barton Bourbon, very, very excellent uh, Barton Bourbon. And at the first time we bought it, it was 11 years old. And uh, so we filled cream in Kentucky. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we started putting the age, 11, 11 and a half years old, 12.7 or whatever it was, 13.3. And we put the ages on it, and uh, very upfront, always upfront. And of course, the as the ages were getting up thirteen, fourteen years old, and there's very little in the barrels. That the price of the barrels all of a sudden are out of this out of this world. Mm. And so, if you could find them, which you can't, but if you could find it, you couldn't afford to buy them anyway, right. especially a startup. Mm-hmm. And we got to a point where we can't find bourbon. And people, it's in a lot of states. And people started, when are you going to have cream in Kentucky? When are you going to have something in the market again? When are you going to have something for us? And so I had an idea, let's use the High Plains uh, brand. And uh, instead of uh, taking something out of the Scotch book, let's do a blend of multi-state rye whiskeys. So we sourced, uh, again, we're going back to the company that was Bedford and Grove, the name of it, uh, companies they do business with. And so we sourced uh, 
There's five straight uh, rye whiskeys, and we can't call it a straight because it was straight whiskeys produced other places. But mm-hmm. it's a blend of straight rye whiskeys. We had New York Distilling Company, uh, Middle West Spirits in Columbus, Ohio. Uh, of course, MGP everybody uses, but we didn't want to use just MGP. And then Kentucky Artisan Distillery in Kentucky. So the four states and uh, five blends. That's a young whiskey. It's, uh, it was all four-year-old. And doing the blending, it, it, we took close to a year, I guess, uh, different blends and uh, try to blend in flavor, blend, blend out the heat mm-hmm. as best you can. Mm-hmm. And after a while, you get something. You, this is pretty good. Then you start tweaking it, you know, 2% at a time or 3%, whatever. But uh, we came up with something that uh, we thought was a pretty good blend, especially for a four-year-old whiskey. And uh, but it's uh, we introduced that July last year, and it's doing pretty well. That's fantastic. I think it's great. Yeah. It, it, we 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 talked about you know a lot of times you get that uh, little bit of that heat from from at least I do. This is really smooth. Now tell me about. I, I noticed you you talked about putting a little drop of water or something in there. It, that has a tendency to to bring out some more of those well, flavors, it, or what does that do? I've I was amazed. Uh, I've had a lot of uh, uh, tastings and bottle signings at liquor stores uh, during the holidays, and I didn't notice it much till then. But we used the, of course, the Glen Karen glasses uh, mm-hmm. uh, uh, when I was first started doing this. But uh, I poured just a little bit in a glass. Uh, not a Glen Karen, but a, a little glass, and somebody would taste it and say, it's, you know, it's okay. It's got a little heat, but it's uh, okay. And I said, watch this. And I said, give me your glass. I'll put a little bit back in it. And uh, But I was adding drops, not a little splash, right. but drops. And I always use cold water works better than room temperature water. That's why I bought a mm-hmm. bottle of cold water. Mm-hmm. And uh, But it was amazing. People said, wow, I can't believe this. It just... It mellowed it. Uh, it opened the flavors, but it, I've said often now that I've never seen uh, a whiskey, whether it be bourbon or straight rye. That's about the only thing I drink is bourbon. But uh, that so little mm-hmm. and so much can make such a difference. Yeah, yeah, it was amazing. I've never seen one like this. Hand, but it, hand me that bottle. I'm going to try it right now. See what happens. All right. All right. I, I put a little. You want a little on yours yeah, too? Just a drop or two. I don't right. want you to. I left my dropper at home, so yeah. <laughs> just do me like a little right. little drop or two. Little dropper. There you go. Yeah, oh, that's uh, a big drop. Uh, Sorry, dude. Yeah, oh, I don't know okay. what you. Did. <laughs> we, we were talking about little little shot glasses. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, let's see what we did here. Wow! No, big no, difference? I'm, a big difference. Like humongous, it yeah. yeah, humongous. You know, it's, uh, for humongous. young whiskey, it doesn't have a long finish, and you no, no, it doesn't. It. But uh, uh, you know, as a a short to medium finish, but it really smoothed the finish. It, it, it just, really does. The, the palate, the heat to me on the palate just just virtually disappeared with just a little water. That is fantastic. Of course, you can use a you know some a little. Ice cube or sliver of ice and something like that do the same thing. Well, you know, a lot of times when we have young bourbon, it's really just overpowering and it feels like it's going to burn your face off. That 
This is like a that's this is more on the lines of a six to eight. It's kind of just it's perfect. For yeah, me. a lot of people said it, they thought it was a uh, quite a bit older than actually yeah. is, but that's mm-hmm. that was part of the fun uh, in you the art good. of blending. You can generally, uh, if you're using different uh, whiskeys with different flavor profiles, uh, you can generally, almost always, make something better. Then if it's four whiskeys, you know, it's not uh, uh, one, two, three, four. It's it's something better than the sum. Right. It's, um, it's fantastic. So I, if, if you're a new to drinking bourbon and uh, say you want to find a bourbon mm-hmm. that uh, you want to start with, I, I would recommend this right here mm-hmm. to, uh, I mean, because this could be your favorite right here. So this is this is available pretty much universally throughout Kentucky or? Yeah, it's uh I, I don't know how many stores have it, but uh, you know I know all the larger stores have yeah. it. In Kentucky. Yeah, I, I don't liquor know barns. I've seen them just about every yeah, liquor oh, barn. Yeah. Liquor, yeah, they have them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, uh, what else is there to know about about Jim Rutledge? I mean, what you know, we know about the legendary uh, person you are in, in the bourbon industry. We know some of the other things, but but tell us something else that. That maybe people don't know who, you know. You mentioned you used to do golf. You mentioned what else is a little tidbit about Jim Rutledge that maybe some people didn't know about you. Oh, I guess uh, you know my favorite hobbies. Uh, I, I mentioned I used to love to play golf. I'm, you know, just average golfer. I think best year I ever had was before I went to New York. That destroyed mm-hmm. me. <laughs> but uh, I had an eight handicap, I think, the year really? before I went up there. That was the best ever. I mean, that that and seems I, pretty damn good to me. Yeah, man, mine's well, 15. It's never got better yeah, than that. Mine, so Mine yeah. would be 15 a hole right now. So. <laughs> I'm with you. I but, feel uh, uh, One of the ways I got back is it's related to, I, I you know, haven't been a, I've lo- always loved to play sports. Very, very competitive. Uh I I played uh, I played softball until I was fifty three, and the teams we had in New York, uh, I, you know, it was I had a lot of fun because I was the old man on the team. <laughs> what a what, bunch of kids. what was, I was in your heyday? What position did you play? Uh, well, I had uh, uh, torn my rotator cuff from my right shoulder back when I was eighteen or nineteen. Okay, and. Uh, but I was in the outfield. Yep. And I played some third base, but after, uh, I'd still try it. But the only thing I could uh, play and not hurt my shoulder right. was pitching. So I, okay. I pitched for over I, 30 years. I got you. And, I got uh, you. So, I, you know, softball, volleyball, I played volleyball leagues, uh, played in New York, uh, A leagues, and at UofL when uh, they didn't have volleyball, wasn't, uh, went to University of Louisville. And, uh, Big Cards fan? Uh, I'm unusual. I live. I grew up a Kentucky fan. I went to U of L. Wow. And I'm an avid fan of both. Gotcha. So, uh, yeah, I, that's unusual for Kentucky. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm not. But I'm was, not at all. I'm all Kentucky, but <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, most people, you're typical. That's right. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so I'm a fan of both. But U of L, they started an extramural volleyball teams. Uh, my junior year, and I, I played volleyball on that. We didn't have you could, didn't get a letter. You got we got a little 
volleyball. <laughs> you know, uh, yeah, yeah. Put on a shirt or jacket or something like that, and that was lost within months, I guess. <laughs> but I continued playing that in New York. Uh, we played some really, really good teams. One of the best teams I ever played for volleyball was in New York City, and uh, it was an A league. We had a, it was a round robin season, uh, thirteen. Uh, games, uh, 39 games. Wow. Uh, during the course of the year, we lost the first one. Back then, the games, not like today, they went to 15. And the first game, we lost something like 25, 23. It was in the 20s. And uh, to the, ended up the next best team. Then we won the next 38 games. Mm. Nice. And, uh, nice. So we went to uh, city finals uh, in volleyball and uh Got up to team killed us at the end. They were really, really good. But, uh, you know, I stayed competitive, played volleyball, softball when I got back to Kentucky, and very competitive. And that's one of the ways I got back. One of the uh, guys that I played with uh, through the years, uh, he knew me. And when I got back to Kentucky, uh, you know, how we've gone over how I got back to Kentucky, but. Uh, guy that took my place in New York and eventually became the executive vice president of manufacturing for Seagram uh, of all U.S. and Canada, came to me in April of 94 and asked if I would go to the, to the distillery, uh, Four Roses Distillery. I was working at the warehouse operation, and uh, I was administrative manager doing all the budget standards because that's what I'd done in New York. And uh, he said, uh, I said, of course. Uh, he said, you know, I love the opportunity. He said, well, don't be so quick because uh, the quality. They, we're talking about 88 when the Japanese market shot through the roof. Sure. The story then started focusing too much on qu- how many barrels can we fill a day rather than quality. And they got the whole uh, system screwed up. They couldn't find a way out of it. And so for about three years, uh, quality was really bad. And once we shut down in the summer of 1995 for the maintenance program, uh, they weren't going to, Seagram wasn't going to reopen the distillery. They oh, sell the distillery. Wow. And they already had contract with another Kentucky distiller to produce bourbon for Four Roses International Markets. And uh, he says, hold on a second. So then he explained all this to me. He says, if we don't have a position at one of the other plants, Somewhere, when this is over, uh, if you don't get quality back in 95, we shut the distillery down, you may not have a job. But mm. he knew I would take it. He knew how competitive right. I was mm-hmm. in that and everything. And he knew I'd take it. And, of course, I jumped on opportunity. And so I got back to got to Four Roses Distillery in November 94. And so we had uh, about seven and a half months or so to really turn it around, and we were successful. And I enjoy working with people. I, I think we had the best operators uh, of all the distilleries, and we had a relationship. It was, uh, crossing my fingers, a very, very tight relationship. Mm-hmm. And it was all of us working together. They didn't believe it. When I first got there, they said, eh, everybody says quality. I said, if we're not producing quality, bourbon, we don't need to be filling a barrel a day in the a couple of guys said, oh, we've heard that before. <laughs> I said, you'll see. And uh, from November to Ju- June when we shut down, uh, I would 
get to the distillery before the midnight shift left, and I was there when they came on at night. I was spending over 16 hours a day. Uh, regular day shift, would regular hours from 8 to 4.30. I'd walk through the distillery two or three times maybe, but as soon as everybody left around 4.30, I spent the next shift with the operators. Wow. And uh, learn not just the process and talk about the process, but each other and believing in each other. And uh, I think that was key to it, getting along with people. And you have a far better success with me of working with people rather than telling people what to do. Right. And uh, I've always had that philosophy. And the guy from New York uh, that asked me if I'd, Mm -hmm. he knew I'd, like I said, he knew I'd take it. But we were successful. And 95, two years later, uh, 97, our little Four Roses Distillery won the top Seagram Quality Award of all U.S. and Canada uh, operations. And uh, so that's a crazy. Know, we, no, one thing we've learned about the bourbon industry is it's all ran on relationships. Mm-hmm. And we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, I want to talk to you about uh, who do you go to? When you have a question, I, I'm sure you still get stumped every once in a while. Who, who's the go-to guy that you go to to bounce things off of? Because when we talk to like Fontes, Stephen Beam, uh, you know, whoever, Stephen Alley, some of those, yeah, guys. they they all have somebody they call, and or, or they're they're like in all of yes, yeah. oh yeah, type of deal. So so when we come back, let's I, let's I, uh, I like your I like your way yeah. of thinking there, Jay-Bow. relationships, yeah, okay. good good stuff. So. Hey, stick around. Uh, this has been this has been such a treat. Uh, hanging out with really one of the true legends in the bourbon industry, Jim Rutledge, and we've still got one more segment to go before we're going to let him go. We got to let him go, but we're going to hang on as long as we can. So stick around. More two shots on the way. So, Jabo, I found out the um, the older you get, the more kids, as your kids grow older, you suddenly have a damn fleet of vehicles. <laughs> and and to both of us, man, we can tell you all about it. Uh, we both have brand-new 16-year-olds hitting the road. So uh, let me tell you how often we're visiting big old tires these days. And it's important when you got your 16-year-old out on the road, you have good tires. Oh, absolutely. And the place to go, we know, is Big O Tires of Lebanon and Barstow. That's right. Billy Taft has been doing this a long, long time. If you want advice on getting the perfect tire for the perfect vehicle, go to Billy Taft first at Big O Tire. And not only can they supply you with some great tires, they also can do oil changes, mm-hmm. brake work, you name it. And here's the cool thing that really impressed me when I visited Billy Taft and Big Old Tires the last time. That dude is customer service extraordinaire. Absolutely. He's been like that uh, as long as I've known him. I've known him a long time. He's a great guy just like off the court than he is on the court. He's just A+, plus and I, I love that dude. He's, he's really, really genuine, and he knows his tires and you're having problems let's say let's say this weather is crazy okay it's raining a bunch go in there and let him put new windshield wipers on your car besides going and trying to do it yourself 
I'm I'm speaking by experience here, Jimmy. It's yeah, it's no. it's a terrible terrible thing to do putting wipers no. on yourself. Uh-uh. No. Big believer in big old tires of Lebanon and Barstown right here in the heart of bourbon country. If you're in for the bourbon trail, your car kind of messes up on you, go see our friend Billy Tapp. Pit stop. It's all this. Pit stop. You're in and out and uh, off to the uh, next distillery. There you go. Big old tires of Lebanon and Bardstown, a proud sponsor of Two Shots on a Barrel. All right, so one thing we've learned on Two Shots is it's important to know where to go when you need a good attorney general. Yes, sir. It's very important nowadays. We've had to get one of our own here lately, and uh, we got the best in the business. We absolutely do, and we found out one morning when you go visit Don McCauley, you better enjoy bourbon and stick around for a while. Because not only is she very good and an expert attorney, she also knows her bourbon. She does know her bourbon, and she knows where to get it, and she will not tell me where the secret stash is located. But well, that's okay. But she'll bring out many of the unicorns that she has in her yes. house, and, and we enjoyed uh, spending time with her. But on a serious note, we know that uh, folks listening out there need to have good legal representation. Don McCauley. Don McCauley, you are right. 144 West Main Street in Lebanon, Kentucky. Her phone number is 270-692-0684. If it's legal anything, she will take care of it. She will be there for you, and she will be the voice that you need to get through this situation. We're talking real estate law. We're talking business law. We're talking anything criminal related, uh, divorce, you name it, bankruptcy, any of those things, Don McCauley can take care of you. If, if, If you're nervous and you just don't know which way to go. If you need that voice, call Don McCauley. Once again, 270-692-0684. Yeah, good stuff right here in bourbon country. Don McCauley, law office of Don McCauley. Thanks. Marion County Trail could be the best value in bourbon-themed travel in Kentucky. You'll experience one of the Kentucky Bourbon Trail's crown jewels, one of the Bourbon Trail Craft Tour's top-rated stops, and something you can't find anywhere else. Organized tours of a bourbon barrel manufacturing facility all in one place. It's the Marion County Trail. Take your time to tour, dine, shop, and stay all along the way. Explore world-famous Maker's Mark, a hot ticket item on the Kentucky Bourbon Trail. Limestone Branch Distillery, home of world-famous Yellowstone Bourbon, and one of the top-rated stops on the Kentucky Bourbon Trail Craft Tour. Kentucky Cooperage, the sprawling plant where the thriving bourbon industry's barrels are hand-built and seared with fire for bourbon-aging flavor. And Lebanon, home of wonderful dining opportunities from home-cooked to chef-driven. Unique shopping opportunities, nowhere else to be found murals for your selfies, and overnight accommodations that range from traditional to bed and breakfast to bourbon-themed. Go to visitlebanonky.com for more details. Lebanon Tourist and Convention Commission, 270-692-0021. Are you tired of paying rent? Do you dream of owning your own home? Now's the time to make that dream a reality. Call Lisa, 270-402-4036. Have you outgrown your current home? Need more space or just the opposite? Are you looking to downsize? Call Lisa, 270-402-4036. Whether buying or selling, now is the time. Call Lisa, 270-402-4036. Lisa Kearns Realtor, Exit Realty Bluegrass, 270-402-4036. Call or text Lisa. Lisa Kearns, the helpful agent. Hey, the Bow Brothers are back in action, and we could not do it without our good buddy Terry Woolley. And what 
a comeback Terry come Woolley is making, j Hey, I, the little birdie told me he has a new CD coming out very soon. Possibly a Christmas album, possibly a religious album. I hope he does both. Absolutely. And right now he's got so many great songs out there. You can check them all out on Spotify, iTunes, you name it. You can go and get all of the music from Terry Woolley. Or you can go to his website. That is terrywoolley.com. He's a great friend of Two Shots on a Barrel. We love that guy. Go uh, check him out today. That's right. It's terrywoolley.com. Didn't take me long, couple years or so. Decided to make a brand new... That's a nice little tune in there. Back to Two Shots on a Barrel. We have uh, been moving and grooving on Two Shots. We've been doing a lot of uh, in-studio work, and it's uh, long overdue. We finally got uh, our studio finished up, j How do you uh, like it? How do you like a new studio? How do you, how do you like really this place? Nice. Yeah. I, I really enjoy yeah, it. Yeah, uh, I'll tell you what. Uh, you, you work out at uh, Lebanon Health and Fitness. If you're ever just wanting a place to get away, Jim, we can hook you up with a key. Man, you can come up here, grab your book. Uh, you, you've got a selection of bourbons, and you can just chill <laughs> for <careful>. a while. <laughs> <laughs> you can just chill for a while. We only do that for uh, VIP. That's right. That's right. Uh, so that's how that works. We're sparking up that relationship we were going to talk about (laughs) now look who's that guy who's that girl who's that person that jim goes to when he needs to run something past somebody about the bourbon industry or an idea of for new bourbon who do you go to well you know it's uh it's been quite a while but one of the beautiful parts about this industry one of the things that you people get involved with our industry we want to stay. I mean, nobody want, wants us. Nobody wants to leave, especially when you can get do something like uh, uh, fortunate enough to become a distiller. And but back in the in the days, uh, you know, anybody that would have any trouble, I, it's something. Uh, you know, I had calls uh, a couple times. I remember from. Uh, Distiller was seeing, was seeing something never seen in fermentation, and we'd talk about it, uh, and we'd go see each other. Or if somebody lost a pump or a, a motor of some kind and called around another distillery, and if we if we had it, uh, you know, we'd send it to them or they'd send it to us and say, we'll get it to you. And they could say they'd pick it up, whatever. It doesn't make any difference. We'll get it back to you. Just get it back to us when you get your replacement. Right. That way we can keep running. Uh, but we, the distillers used to meet, uh, uh, have lunches once a month or, or so, different places. And uh, we just sit around and talk about issues and problems and things that are right and fun and uh, about what we do. Right. And uh, I remember we used to now and then have a dinner. Uh, I remember one time... Uh, uh, some of the dinners we'd have, uh, Woodford Reserve started mm-hmm. the, giving uh, uh, dinners for a few years. And the only requirement, you had to bring a bottle, and the only requirement for the night was you can drink all night if you want to. We, we didn't, of course, but uh, <laughs> but you couldn't drink your own. Uh-huh. But that's the relationship yeah. our industry has. You could never see Budweiser and no. Slits oh, and, no, no, no. Uh, Coors Lord, and no. Millers do things like this. We... You know, you get up in the marketing areas and sales, 
that's different. But on our level, where we, we we're in the industry uh, because we love what we do, and uh, you know, we've come light years uh, in technologies and the, not so much the science, but we know what was going on and uh, instrumentation and uh, computers to help us do things more consistently. But there's will always be that art. Uh, you know, using your senses of smell and taste and sight to look at a fermenter and know whether something's right or whether it's uh, maybe something a little bit wrong and and watch it. And that's the art, and that's what I think a lot of people love, other than the people in the industry. But we we never hesitate. Uh, who I went to last, I don't know, but I know I could call anybody. Anybody. Anybody, and you know, if necessary, they come down. If I saw something happening... Uh, you know, that's where we could ask anybody. Or and I'm I sure one your time doors. I was in uh, at Seagram. I was in a uh, quality meeting. Seagram Quality Headquarters had moved out of the U.S. up to LaSalle, which is a suburb of Montreal. I got up there one night, and uh, uh, I got a call. We started off that that year with a great run. I mean, it was a great startup. Our quality was fantastic. And uh, I got up and had a call the next morning. We just had a reject. I said, you know, our rating system, we were getting the top ratings. I said, you can't go from here, boom, and bottom out in one day. And uh, I got on a plane right away and left the meetings, Got came back. And it took a while, but we had just got into the fall harvest because you start up in the silver and you start up in the fall, you start off with the previous year's grain supply. And then you get into the harvest in uh, November, that area. Well, this is in late November, I think, or mid-November. And uh, we just gotten into it. And we just, in the previous year, uh, we'd had an extremely wet spring. Uh, <clears throat> people were able to get crops in. A lot of them had to replant because it just got flooded out. Mm-hmm. And the corn, a lot of the corn crops didn't get planted until, or had to be replanted in June. And so instead of this, you know, twelve foot or high <laughs> corn, it mm-hmm. was six, seven foot tall, and the uh, ears of corn. But once we got to mid, about the third week of June, we had a rain one day, and didn't rain again until the first of October. Oh, so the crap. the wet spring, the very dry summer, it really messed the corn crops up, and it just it didn't sell right, smell right. Uh, when I got back, but we got into it. It didn't take long to figure out. Well, we we going from really really great quality. Boom, we bottomed out in one day because we went into the new crop, and there was something wrong. But didn't smell. It wasn't that sweet smelling. You know, most people think look at corn and and uh, the corn doesn't smell like corn. It's got it's really good when it's good. You know it. But there was something off about it. But that little bit of off character uh, ended up being just a hint. The really? slightest hint. Very, very few people could pick it up. It was so small. Of a, a must. Ah. And must gets worse. You know, it doesn't get better during, it doesn't get masked by the uh, flavors of the barrel in the aging process. It actually gets worse. But so some people, only a couple of people in Seagram could see it. Well, uh, and just. The story is all about the relationships. When I've called, uh, that when I figured what 
was going on, I called all the distillers and told them, what, watch out for this year's corn crop. And I talked to the guy at uh, Jerry Dalton at uh, Jim Bean. And uh, Bill Friel, at, uh, he had already found it and seen it at Barton. And, but Jerry says, oh, I look at it every day. We all look at it every day. And we haven't seen it, no problem. But that was on a Friday. On Monday, I had a call really early in the morning. And I said, who's calling me at this time? But that or it was about six thirty, but that was before you get most phone calls. I, mm-hmm. phone, I said hello, and all I heard was thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh-huh. And it was Jerry. So yeah. we found our first must, a hint of must Sunday. But it's critical catching things like must, mold, aldehydes at these very, very low levels because they get worse during the aging process. Right. And uh, but that's again just the relationship wow. that we right. all have. We yeah. love each other. We love our industry. And uh, our common goal is to make the best bourbon in the world. And that's why one yeah. of the reasons, there's a lot of reasons Kentucky's number one, but that's now, part of it. Now, is it true that uh, you guys, the master distillers, uh, back in the day used to be able to go out to eat together, no, hang yeah, out in groups, yeah. but now with the popularity of, of where bourbon is, it's hard for you guys to meet out in public anymore because – you got the Jim Reeds over here that will just come flocking to you like a, you know, like you're a, uh, but you are a star, a bourbon star. Uh, Is it like that? I mean, they said that it's hard I, to go no, out anymore. I don't, that's, who told I us don't. that? Who told us that? I think it was Denny Potter. Denny Potter. You, have you met Lager's Denny Smart. Potter yet? Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah Denny's a great guy. Yeah, I, 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 I've never paid any attention to that. So, so the question that I would have just kind of, uh, I guess, Echoing on on what Jeremy said, though, you are one of whether you want to acknowledge it or embrace it. You're one of the legendary guys in the bourbon industry. When when people talk about Jim Rutledge, J W Rutledge, it's it's echoed in the in the hallways with the likes of the Parker Beams, the Nose. The, all of these, all of these legendary. You are one of those guys. When people say that, what what goes through your mind? I mean, you're like, do do you do you embrace it? Do you're like, what? I mean, that's that's, but but you are. You know well, what I'm saying? Know, uh, I I I guess uh, you could say a lot of people know who I am, but the people who know who I am. Also, are bourbon lovers, so you keep everything in perspective, and uh, you know you go out to most places and people won't recognize you unless you're in a place where you you're having a lot of like the bourbon festival, right? Mm-hmm. A lot of bourbon people congregated for mm-hmm, an event, mm-hmm. then things like that can happen. But on an everyday basis, uh, that doesn't happen. Mm. But uh, you know, if somebody wants to come over and sit down and talk, I've never turned anybody away. And uh, if somebody wants a bottle signed or a menu or whatever. I, I'd sign anything yeah, for right. somebody and sit and talk with people. Now, and I he's not lying. People. I, he, I enjoy uh, he, uh, answering questions. Yeah, you, you look at from a from a historical perspective, probably the likes of uh, I don't know uh, J.W. Dan or, or or Basil Hayden or, or all Evan Williams. All these guys back in the day were just making a living, right? But historically speaking, as years have gone by. It's like a big daggone deal when you mention those names. And and historically speaking, 
that's what they're going to say about Jim Rutledge someday. I mean, oh, oh, I mean, seriously, no. <laughs> <laughs> you, you know, uh, and, yeah. and it's just, I don't know. It's a, it's a hell of a, uh, to me, uh, it's when you consider where we are in the bourbon industry to you, to be one of those guys that that's one of those, one of those legendary guys. I mean, it's pretty, pretty darn impressive. That's, that's something that's, you know, when, before I left four roses and I'd started, uh, our private barrel selection programs there. And, uh, shoot, I'd, I'd attend everyone I could. If I was around, I, I'd go to them. Our distillery is separated by 50 miles from our barrel warehouse. And uh, there's reason for that, too, but uh, we don't have time to get into it. <laughs> but, uh, you know, they, they could be uh, three people or 13 or 15 people or more at a, a private barrel selection. And... I was honest. Oftentimes, I'd say uh, everybody talked about how great it was, how much fun we had, and I said I, I probably had more fun than all of you. And I was serious. I mean, I love the industry. I love talking about uh, our industry. Love the people in the, in the industry. And uh, so, when you love something like that, you know, it's something like that doesn't go, never goes to my head because I uh, anybody. Sees me and wants to talk. I'm I'm willing to talk. Yeah. They may be sorry when they ask. Something. <laughs> and it uh, takes me 15 minutes to answer a yes or no question. Yeah. Well, look, when we saw you at the Bourbon Festival, first time we've ever met you, and I'm just going to prove a point that what you're saying is absolutely true. Uh, you didn't know who these two weird dudes were walking up to you. We had no microphones. We just wanted to introduce ourselves. And you didn't go, oh hell. You stayed there. You talked to us, man, yeah. and uh, and uh, you were probably one of the most receptive guys there. I mean, we, we knew a lot of people there, and they talked to us, but you were genuinely, you know, happy to talk to us. And so uh, I appreciate that from you. And, uh, man, we gravitated toward you really quick after that five-minute uh, you know, talk. I, and I appreciate people coming up and want, wanting to talk. And, said, uh, and that's one thing. If somebody wants to talk bourbon, I was like, yes, I got somebody listening. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I enjoy it as much as anybody else. So that's yeah. uh, Well, if you see us anywhere and we're doing this or not, you come sit with us, man, because you always have a seat at our table. Yeah, and, yeah. and you give us instant credibility. <laughs> <laughs> Those boys know what they're talking about. <laughs> we can't, uh, again, Jim, we can't thank you enough. We appreciate you, I, you know, taking the time to come by at the, the Two Shot Studio and, and just talk burp and, and, and talk about something that uh, obviously is, is uh, near and dear to your heart that you love and uh, to enlighten us, I think, yes, uh, as far as what's going on. Um, I'm very happy to be here and uh, talk to you guys and everyone listening and uh, be happy to do it again sometime. Oh, absolutely. absolutely. It's you know, a we, deal. There's a lot to talk about. Just talk about the, you can talk about the process for two hours. Yes. And uh, uh, differences. So, yeah. It's, so you got to make us a promise. Once we get this uh, distillery on Jim's farm and we're, we're cranking it out, <laughs> you got to invite us to come watch watch the process, how you do it personally. 
Well, I assume when you say on Jim's farm, you're talking about mine. Then. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, we uh, if you're uh, we we have plans to be at, uh, back at the Bourbon Festival this year. We mm-hmm. would love to hook up with you. Uh, we plan on doing a lot of creative things with the Bourbon Festival this year, include some live video stuff. So maybe uh, you sure. know if we walk up to you and say, "Hey, Jim, you got ten minutes for us." Uh, we we would love to have you back. Uh, you're a class guy. We consider you a Marion County guy, which makes you even classier. How about that? <laughs> that sounds good. All right. All right. J-Bo, you got anything else, That's buddy? it, man. Thank you so much. Oh, all right. Thank you, guys. All right. Appreciate, appreciate you. being with you. Hey, uh, so we're back in the studio a bunch. Uh, stick around. Make sure you go out there and review us. We like five stars, especially when we have legendary guys like Jim Rutledge on the show. That deserves five-star ratings. That's right. And you need to tell five of your friends to tune in and download the show as well. Yep. Stick around. We got great... More shows on Two Shots. Peace out, everybody. We'll see you next time on Two Shots on a Barrow.